This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Now here, here's the thing. I, I don't know if you, if you watched that video as we were uh, giving the intro there. I don't know if you've realized this, but social media man, has changed the way that we connect with people. That's a good thing sometimes. I'm, I'm thankful for it. As a, as a church, we've made a decision to try to leverage at every possible angle to try to reach people. And even personally, you know, my, my, uh, the last few weeks uh, I was able to connect with someone who, who was a good friend of my mom's when we were growing up. Uh, she's since moved away, and the relationship had kind of been, been lost over years. And, and we reconnected, and when, when I found her, she actually... Had, had lung cancer and had a very short amount of time to live. And my mom was able to connect with her again, and she was able to hear about what we're doing. And it was just a really good thing to be able to hear from her. She actually passed away just a few weeks ago. And because of social media, we were able to kind of reignite that relationship. I'm thankful for that. But it's changed the way we look at a few things. Think about this with me. If you're here, tell me what this symbol is. How many of y'all know? Some of y'all just said it's a tic-tac-toe board, right? Who said it's a pound sign? Raise your hand. Are you showing your age? It's a, it's a hashtag. All right, that's what, that's what we call it now, all right? And if you look on any of our social medias, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you can do this right here. You can search based on a hashtag. That hashtag, when it's in front of a string of letters, creates a searchable icon within that social media platform. It's pretty interesting. If you go on Instagram, for example, and you uh, look at Duckface, which is one of my favorite ones. Think about this. There's 700 or 7 million pictures that have been tagged Duckface. And these are the top nine of those. You can do this in, in actually ways that are, that are helpful. You can search Vortex Church on Instagram, and here are some pictures that come up when you search Vortex Church, just the hashtag Vortex Church. Over the years, there have been some funny hashtags that came along, and I think one of my favorite ones that's emerged is the hashtag, the struggle is real. All right, the struggle is real because oftentimes in comical ways, we, we have things that we, we all struggle with and, and someone will, will have that moment where they realize it and then they'll post it on Facebook or Twitter and, and hashtag that struggle with the struggle is real. I, I pulled a few just off of a random search from Twitter. These are, I'm going to read them from the top. Scrubbing your glitter nail polish off, then giving up and painting it over it because sleep is better than vanity, Right. The struggle is real. Here's my favorite one. Abs might be made in the kitchen, but then again, so are brownies. The struggle is real. If you're a nurse, you may get this one. The modern ABCs of emergency medicine, airway, breathing, cell phone charging capabilities, ER problems. The struggle is real. And the last one, which I think many of us recognize this and identify with, I have so much to do, and I don't want to do any of it. The struggle is real. You know, the thing about that that I recognize when we were preparing for this series is 
there are characteristics of the life that God wants us to live with. The, 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 the life that God has described for us in Scripture, the life that God, God intended for every one of us, there are characteristics of that that we all struggle with. And so we're going to take a few weeks and look at that. The, the, the sentiment of that struggle, I, I find it in, in the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, where he opens in Philippians 3 verse 10 by talking about what his, his goal, his desire for his life is this. Read this with me. It'll be on the screen. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death so that somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What a, what a powerful goal for life. I mean, that's what the, he's saying, hey, this is what I want in life. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him so deeply that in the ways that he suffered, I suffered. That in the ways that he was put to death, I am put to death. So that in the same way that he came to life under the power of God, my life can come to back to life through the power of God. What a, what a powerful sentiment. But I love where he goes with it immediately after that in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, if, if the great apostle Paul says, I'm not there, I haven't arrived, I still have that goal, but I'm not there. Let me just tell you, you're not there either. I'm not there. He uses a term. He says, but I, but I press on towards the mark. I, I'm, I'm pressing into it. The, the terminology we like to use nowadays is that I'm, I'm leaning into it. I'm leaning. I'm pressing. I'm fighting for it. It's not easy. It's a struggle, but I'm fighting for it. See, as I was preparing for this message, I realized something about every single person, every single family that's in this room today. You're all fighting for something. You're all fighting for something. So here's the question that I want us to kind of begin by asking. See, we're all fighting for something, but are we fighting for something that really matters? We're all fighting for something, but, but are you struggling for something that really matters? Are you fighting for something that really matters? Because here's what I want you to get as we get ready to start this. If you're fighting the wrong fight, even if you win, you lose. If you're fighting for the wrong thing, even if you win, you lose. I mean, if your goal is, I just want bigger and better and more and more and more, if that's your goal, even if you get bigger and better and more and more, you still lose. Because more will never be enough. So we need to fight fights that matter. We need to struggle over things that matter. And so I'm going to give you an overview of this series. Today we're going to talk about relationships, really in the context of family, but relationships in a broad sense. Next week we're going to talk about authenticity, because I don't know if y'all paid attention to that video, but that's the lives that we live in public these days. 
We want to look good. We want people to like us. We want to be appreciated. But in so many cases behind the scenes, there's just trash and difficulty existing there. And we want to live authentic lives. And authenticity is a struggle in the world that we live in. Number week three, we're going to be looking at compassion. I just want to go on a, let me just give you a heads up. Maybe one of the most significant messages I've ever preached in the history of our church. Okay, you don't want to miss that Sunday as we talk about compassion and learning to care for other people. And last week, the last week in the series, we're going to look at rest. How many of y'all we know we is such a busy world, such busy lives that it's hard to rest these days. You know, uh, an article uh, based on a study was it just came out last week. It showed that out of high schoolers, 80 percent of them go to go to sleep at night with their phones. Like they're, they're holding their phone, their phone's next to the pillow, their phone is right there with them, and if they get a text at 2 in the morning, they're up to answer it. And rest is a, a holy thing. It's the thing that God commanded us to do. And anything that kind of robs us of that really is tearing down something that God wants to build. Maybe technology... It's good, and like I've said before, as, as a church, we love it. We want to leverage it, especially social, especially social media, but, but it's changing relationships. Technology's definitely having an impact on relationships. So let, let me give you a few things that I see uh, that we struggle with in, in technology and relationships. The first one is that the term friend is evolving. You know, 30 years ago when my parents were, were young, in their, their young family stage, a friend meant somebody that when you were moving, they would come move boxes and furniture with you. A friend meant somebody when, when you had a death in the family, they showed up with a meal. A friend meant somebody who, who would, on your birthday, come over and, and just want to see you and want to thank you. And you just, I, I want to just wish you happy birthday. I just had to see you. But today, friend, well, friend means something different, doesn't Facebook redefined the term friend. The average American adult that's on Facebook has over 320 friends on Facebook. But in an ongoing sociological survey studying the way that we connect in friendships in the United States, the average American polled has only two close friends. Only two, which is down in almost 25 years by 50%. But what's shocking in the latest report from that study, 25% of the people who were polled said they had no close friends. No close friends. Technology's impacted. Number two, we've become addicted to immediate affirmation. We've become addicted to immediate affirmation. You know, when, when you did something stupid when I was a kid, it took a long time for people to learn about it because you had to tell a story, right? You know, when you go back another generation, it took even longer for the news to spread. But now if my kid poops himself and wipes it on the walls, I can take a picture and tell everybody in 30 seconds. News travels much faster. And in the same way, when we do something good, 
when we feel like I've got a, a nice little outfit today. Y'all may no, not know what this is, but hashtag outfit of the day. O-O-T-D, right? Go do a search on that. And that's where young girls will go. I mean, I like my outfit picture. <laughs> outfit of the day. And then they start to check how many likes they get. Can I just tell you something about likes on Instagram or Facebook at the end of your life? The amount of likes that you get will not matter. It won't matter. What will matter is how you loved other people. And we're becoming addicted to the instant gratification that comes out of having looked in a good way or, or being at a cool place or doing something that's an achievement and immediately getting feedback on that. There's a study that was just released that shows that in our brains, the that it has on us is almost similar to what happens in an athletic high, that our bodies release a chemical called dopamine, all right, and that, that it is almost, it's almost addictive, that we can become so addicted to getting that kind of affirmation for other people that we feed on it. And it's not very healthy because I think, number three, socially, we're all too often, the term is alone together. You ever been out to eat? Look over, see a family, they got a couple teenagers with them. Sitting down to have dinner. Everybody's got their phone out. Not talking to each other. Not even looking at each other. Everybody's looking at their own device. And while they are together, they are alone. In many cases, especially among young people, their personal cultures are starting to create that sense of loneliness. That even when they're around other people, they're still alone. It's not uncommon if you have teenagers, you see this scene a lot. They have friends over, you walk into the room, there's all of them sitting around with their own device, not even talking, not playing, in the same room, hanging out, but they're alone together. Number four, the way that technology impacts relationships is that because of technology, now we can do relationships on our own terms. Y'all have that friend that you text them and it takes two days for them to text you back? Now I ain't going to point out anybody in this room that's like that except me. I'm probably like that. But see, if you get a text from somebody that you really didn't want to deal with, you can Ignore it. You get a friend request from somebody on Facebook that you don't want to be friends with, you can ignore it. You can do friendships on your own terms. I think it's interesting. I heard my grandmother talk about this one time. And when families would come and visit when my, my dad was young, the way that they would arrange the trip is that they would get a letter, and it would say, we're going to come visit you in August. You be ready, because they're coming sometime in August. I mean, think about it. Think about it. it. It has changed the way that we connect 
And sometimes it's given us the ability to do relationships on our terms and see relationships that are vitally important to your life. So much so that I want to point out a passage of Scripture. This is John 13. Jesus is speaking in this. I want you to hear the words of Jesus today. A new command I give you. A new command I give you. Love one another. Like all your friends' pictures on Instagram. As I have loved you, you will be loved when your pictures are liked. No, he doesn't say that. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, there's this notion that's floating around in the world that we live in today that you can be a Christ follower. You can love Jesus. You can hate the church. You can disengage from relationships. You can go out and do your own thing. But Jesus says, if you want to show the world what a real relationship looks like with me, love one another. Our relationships with other people are the litmus test for our relationship with God. So much so that when Jesus is, is doling out the requirements for someone to be in ministry, the quickest way to get disqualified is to have a bad family. Because a healthy relationship with Jesus spills over into our relationships with other people. Relationships matter. So today what I'd like to do is I'd like to spend a few moments just talking about a couple things we can do to make better relationships happen in our life, to really fight for relationships, to struggle for relationships the right way. Let's go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verses 24, 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Let's not neglect meeting together. You see, as the church began to emerge after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, as the church began to emerge, this body of believers did so in such a way that they committed themselves to each other. So much so that at times, as the Bible describes the community, that when one family was in need, they didn't have an organized system. There was no such thing as social welfare. The church took care of them because they loved them. In just a few months, it's going to be Christmas. How many of y'all that are kids in here would say, I love Christmas because I love presents? Raise your hand if that's you. Anybody? I love presents. All right, how many of y'all parents love Christmas because, because of presents, but it's on a different side of it, right? You know, at Christmas, we celebrate the greatest gift that we've ever been given. It's Jesus, right? That's what Christmas is all about. And at Christmas, we use a name to talk about Jesus. 
that we often don't use to reference him the rest of the year, the name Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel literally means God with us. So I want you to think about that with me. God, who existed in perfection, chose to leave heaven to come to earth so that he could love us the way we needed to be loved. God could have opened up heaven, yelled his love to us, and stayed at a distance, but God refused to do that. God came to us. I think that in that instruction to not give up meeting together, there's a a few things today that I want to point out to you that are very, very important when it comes to building relationships that matter, building relationships the right way. Here are two things I'm going to give you today that are worth fighting for in your families. The first one is that you need to be present. You need to be present. How many of y'all realize that your presence in other people's lives matter? You may not realize that, but you may realize that when you think about your friends and what they've meant when they were there for you. You see, we have a tendency because of technology to try to do things that are, are simpler. You hear about a friend that's having a bad day, and what do we often do? We send them a text message. Hey, I'm thinking about you. Can I just tell you, I don't want your text message that says, hey, I'm thinking about you. I want a text message from you. If you're going to send me one, say, hey, I'm praying for you. Because praying for me might do something for me. All right? I might feel a little special if you're thinking about me, but I want you to pray for me. But then there are friends that go above and beyond that, aren't there? There are friends who pick up the phone and call you. Hey, I heard you're having a bad day. just wanted you to know I was thinking about you. Right there, right? I'm here for you. What do you need? But there's times when friendship goes beyond that. When I was in college, I got a phone call one day. It was an afternoon. It was one of those just very plain days. The phone call was from my mother. And she had found out that she had cancer. Now, my mom is cancer-free and still around. We praise God for that. All right. But in that moment, I just want you to know that was a tough thing. I mean, it was like, it was like somebody had punched me and taken all the life that I felt in me, out of me. And I lived with my best friend. My, he was my roommate in college. And he looked at me and just said, hey, what are we going to do? because I'm not going to leave you alone for a couple days. So everywhere I went for the next few days, he followed me. Went to class with me. He went to work out with me. He went to eat with me. Everywhere I went, except to the shower. He didn't do that. (laughs) And years later, as our friendship has matured and changed, I can tell you that in that moment, That was the best thing that anybody could do for me, was choose to be present. And think about that. In our brokenness, Jesus chose to be present here with us. 
He chose to be here with us. If we're going to love people the way Jesus, we've got to choose to be present. Will y'all say this with me? Just repeat this after me. I will love people. I will love face to face. Not just thumbs to thumbs. And when you get married, you can love them belly button to belly button, but that's a whole different um, sermon for a later, later day. How many of y'all know we need, we need to be the kind of friend that gets face-to-face with the people that we care about, that provides presence? Look at Romans 12, right? Look at this verse. Don't just pretend to love others. And this is harsh here. Don't pretend to love them. Really love them. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other when God's people are in need. Be ready to help them. Be ready to be face to face. If you're a parent and you're here today, I want to tell you something about being present. Your time and your kids' lives matters. The time that you have been given is the greatest influence that your kids have. And I want to give you a principle about children that is absolutely true. Whoever gives the most time in their lives wins. Whoever gives the most time wins. And we live in a day and age where parents choose not to be present so that they can do other good things for their family. I'm going to take a second job. This is so common. I'm going to take a second job for a few months so that I can buy them more Christmas presents. I'm going to give up my evenings and my Saturdays so that I can get more money. See, if you fight the wrong fight, even if you win, you lose. Whoever gets the most time wins. And as a parent, you have more time with your kids than school teachers, than us at church. That's why we don't say that we want to be the influence. We want to create a partnership with you as a church. We want to help you because you're the pastors of your home. You're the leading influence in your kids' lives. And if you don't step into that, all you're going to do is outsource that influence. And years from now, this will be the conversation that you'll have with someone. I really don't know why they're that way. I didn't raise them to be like that. And I pray that God would remind you of this. You did. If you outsourced the influence that God gave you, if you put them in front of a TV to entertain them, If you gave them technology and said, sit here and play these games. If you neglected building a relationship, being present in their lives, giving your time to influence. If you did that, well, you probably did race them that way. But I believe in our families. I believe that. Our parents can be the influencers that raise up a generation of young kids that become young adults that change the cities and towns that we live in around here. And the only way that happens is when we choose to leverage the influence that we have at home. 
The second thing that we need to do is we need to be engaged. We need to be engaged. How many of y'all know it's not just enough to be present? Because just like that family that's out to eat, but everyone is on their phone checking their text messages and looking at Facebook, you can be present and unengaged. But aren't you glad that we serve a God that has been engaged in our lives? That loves us and continues to love us. As a matter of fact, look at 1 Peter 4, 8. This is what we're talking about. Most important of all, continue to show deep love. Continue to show deep love for each other. Continue. Fight for it. Be present and be engaged. After working with teenagers, leading church, here's the, here's the thing that I can tell you from a parent's perspective. What works Here's the one thing that works. Don't quit. Don't quit. Be engaged. Choose to leverage your time and influence and engage your relationships. And we live in a world that's trying to steal your attention. The average adult in in the course of a 24-hour day sees over 3,000 ads. And the people who are creating those ads spend millions of dollars to try to understand the way you think, the way you behave, and they're trying to get into your world. But I think maybe some of our families are tired of being disengaged. Some of our parents are tired of not being present. As a matter of fact, I know that this is probably a moment for some of you guys, and I want to stop, and I want to pray right now. Let's pray. God, you want us to give our time to our kids. In Deuteronomy 6, you ask us to take the the heart of your law, the, the love of God, and impress it on our kids. And the only way we can do that, God, is by being present in their lives and being engaged with them relationally. And for many of us, God, we haven't done that. And some of us have been fighting the wrong fight. And even if we win it, God, we're still going to lose. And so I ask you today to come. Please speak to us. Help us make this decision to be present and to be engaged. With, with everyone, if you would, just keep your heads bowed. But if you're a kid and you're in the room, I want you to look at me real quick. Some of y'all are here today, and you know that your, your mom and dad have been distracted. And there's been times that, that you've wanted their attention, and you've wanted to be around them, and, and you've wanted to do things with them, but they've been busy. And maybe right now is the time for you to just let them know. So if, if that's you and you say, hey, you know, I really want the attention of my mom or my dad, would you take their hand right now? Grab their hand. And let's pray. God, for the, the families that are here, God, every, everything in our life is screaming, give us more. Our jobs are saying, give us more. God, our bosses are saying, give us more. Lord, 
but you've asked us to direct our attention towards our families and to relationships. And so, God, as parents, would you help us to be present for our kids? Would you help us to, to engage them in a way that makes a difference? God, would you help us to love them in such a pure and good way that they never go looking for love somewhere else? And do it, God, for your glory and your name. Amen. First John 3 says this, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. A lot of times when we think about love in our world today, we think about it in sentiment and emotion. But when the Bible describes love, love always has action behind it. Love isn't uh, an adjective or a noun. Love is a verb. It, it, it is something that we do. And many of you today are saying, hey, if I'm going to live in that kind of a relationship, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know how I could love my kids or love my spouse, love my friends, love my mom and dad. I don't know how I can love them this way. Well, the key to that is found in 1 John 4.19. I want you to see this verse as we get ready to conclude. We love each other because he loved us first. You see, in the kingdom of God, all God has asked us to do is to take what he's given and to give it away. He's loved you selflessly. He's chosen to be present in our lives. Jesus laid aside heaven and came to earth. He's been sacrificial in giving up his life so that he could engage ours. And all he wants us to do is to take that love and to love in our relationships that way. Let's pray. God, today, there's so many of us in this room. We really need the love of God to invade our relationships. In so many ways, we've probably been fighting for things really that won't make a big difference. And God, as we've done those, even if we win those fights, we're, we're still going to lose. So God, would you help us today to start to fight, to be present, to be engaged. And God, to be present and engaged the way that you've been in our lives. God, every fear that we've had, every difficulty we've experienced, you've, you've been there with us. God, you give us strength. You help us. You heal us. And God, we can love because we have been loved. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to point out something to you, and then I'm going to ask you a question. If you've never experienced the love of God, if you've never received the love of God, if you're not living in that unconditional love of God, it's impossible for you to love somebody else that way. Maybe today there are some of you who know, 
I need to accept the love of God that I've ran from. I need to accept a God who, is, who has accepted me, wants to change me, who, who loves me in spite of all of my failures. And maybe today is the day that you accept and receive that love. If that's you, raise your hand right now. If that's you, I need the love of God in my life. Who else? Who else is here that would say that? So, God, for those hands that went up today, God, we just ask that you would help us. God, help us to see that you have a plan. God, help us to receive your love and then to allow that love to invade every other relationship that we have. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.